are having a fantastic conference, I'm sure, looking at the incredibly important theme of church planting. And um, I'm based here in Canterbury. I lead an amazing church called the City Church. We're here uh, based in uh, Canterbury and Whitstable. We have two locations, and I do believe uh, a whole crew are with you from the City Church, and I, I trust that they're, uh, they're not going into mischief. But uh, on a serious note, actually, as we look at um, the subject which I've been asked to speak on, which is that of establishing a culture in the church environment that isn't primarily derived from past experience or past hurts or past hang-ups, but establishing a biblical culture. How do we do that? As we look at that question, um, I'm going to share some thoughts, but genuinely, the guys you've got with you... Um, from the uh, City Church, they, they, they've got some fantastic wisdom on this, so I'm setting them up by saying this. You might want to get them up and, uh, and, and drill them a little bit about some of the things they've done. Hugh Pierce, for example, who leads the Whitstable location, um, is superb on this kind of thing, thinking through how we actually establish um, systems and policies and people and different ways in which you actually get an idea into a reality, into a people. And um, I want to speak, I hope um, it's okay, relatively practically um, in this session. I was thinking about which way to take this, and um, I was tempted to, uh, in all honesty, to effectively preach at you. Um, but I thought if I was at a church planting conference, although I love preaching, actually we hear that week in, week out. What we really probably need are some almost more coaching moments those moments which are quite practical in a way, hopefully still inspired by God, but really specific to enable you guys, no matter whether you're literally just starting off pioneering a situation or whether the church plant is growing to um, a considerable size, I think coaching, um, practical mentoring, that kind of side of things is hugely key for us. If you're talking Driscolian language of, of, of leaders often being prophet, priests and kings, it's this kingly quality. If prophets are mainly those who particularly hear from God and are thinking about you know, biblical truths and implementing those, um, the broad scale, priests being those who just think people, the king side of things is really that often, if I'm honest, in New Frontiers, um, slightly underplayed gift mix, which is the practical systems that take the prophetic and the priestly ideas and make them a reality in terms of systems. So I want to attempt to be a little bit kingly in this next half an hour. I'm not a cool, taller king, but um, through blood, sweat and tears, um, I've been an elder for, for nine years at the church now, um, since 26, and I've been leading the team um, for about six years, coming up to seven years um, uh, next year. And um, I would also say this, and I know you know this, but I need to say it is, please realise that some of the things I'm going to talk about um, are things that I think work, but they are ideals, and um, ask any of the guys at the church who are with you, clearly we are in no way a church which has got all this uh, sussed. In fact, I publicly repented two weeks ago uh, on our Vision Sunday in September when we looked at the whole being a, a thing of being a, a people which aren't just passionate for God, but we are compassionate for people, and being a people on mission. And at the end of my sermon, I looked at the church and said, even though I was an atheist, 15 years ago, the main reason I became a Christian, humanly speaking, was a girl who I didn't know, who came up to me, 
um, outside a bar at university. We got into conversation and she just was honest that she'd been praying. And she blew her cover, as it were. She was honest about being a Christian. And that was the beginning. And I said to the church, I want to repent to you because I don't do that anymore. I don't go around just really spending much time looking for divine appointments. And you don't, most of you. I haven't built that as a culture. And we as an eldership don't do that. And we want to repent to you today and say we want to change that. And we want the next three years to be different. And I say that so that you know that very much me and the church, we are very much a work in progress in so many areas. But as I have been um, toying with the question that Morris has asked me to speak about, how do you implement a culture? So rather than talking about specific examples of culture, such as being on mission, being prayerful, being worshippers, the question is how do you take any of those good things take it from being an idea and make it an actual culture that's in the church. And I have come up with no less than 16 little tips. I wouldn't call them more than that because I don't want to overblow their significance. That I've worked hard at alliteration for you. I hope you appreciate that. And as you can see, these, these here we go, hopefully you can all read that. There we go. Spelling the words bag, reel, meat, cap. Absolutely rubbish, I know. But it's the best I could do. It took me ages to even get to that bag, reel, meat, cap. And you're thinking, what on earth are you talking about, Tom? Write down those letters on the left-hand side of your page. And I'm just going to walk through two minutes on each of um, a few things that over many years um, we as an eldership and as leaders have, uh, have, have found helpful in terms of taking an idea and making it an actual established culture. And I'm just taking my timer because I'm nervous. I'm going to talk for too long. Okay. So first of all, then, B for bag. Be sure. The first thing you need to do when you're thinking about implementing any cultural change is be sure that whatever it is you're going for, so we want to be more on mission. We want to be more uh, servant-hearted. We want to be deeper fellowship. We want to be those who are more worshipful. Whatever it is, be sure um, that it is the right direction you're about to take the church in. Be sure about it. And so what we, what that looks like for us is every year now, um, we take at least a week. This last time we took two weeks as an eldership and as senior leaders, two weeks where we, um, we pray, we go away, we really get before God, and we first of all allow the celebrations of the year to be written down and to be really celebrated. All the triumphs of the year, the things that we've gone for, the things that we've dreamed would happen and have happened, the things that we weren't expecting to happen and have happened, and we celebrate. And then what we do is we start to ask ourselves questions, you know, instinctively, what do we think, though? What is our perhaps our number one struggle? And therefore, what is the thing that we need to really focus on in the next year? Or more often now, we're talking a three-year time cycle. So we do it instinctively. Uh, and this is on the first day. The second day, then what we do is we go through the stats. And I'm talking every statistic that we can possibly get our, our mitts on. Of course, Sunday attendance. But then Sunday attendance at different meetings, uh, prayer meeting attendance, alpha attendance, giving, um, how many new members we've got. Um, how many people come on our student double-decker bus on Sunday mornings? Every statistic that we can get our hands on so that we can really identify whether our instinctive 
area that we think we need to focus on is actually the extra true area um, or whether we're wrong. So one of the big things that we realized this year through, through actually working through our statistics was that although our attendance had done this, not massively, but kept on growing all year, most, almost every month, our membership had done this, our giving had done this, and, um, and, and, and so we realized um, what was happening was that our integration actually was the issue. It wasn't, people were still coming, but they weren't being followed up anywhere near as much as actually we had hoped. Um, so, um, this was a whole collection of different uh, things, and ultimately we recognised the fact is, is that we as an office team uh, needed to get much better at supporting all the different um, project ministry area leaders who make that integration happen, because it's, it's integration team, it's welcome team, it's, um, it's small group follow-up, it's, it's every different ele element, and we realised that although these teams were doing their best, that the main reason actually that um, things weren't going well was because we weren't cohesively working together um, to make sure that these team leaders were well supported. And so um, we therefore, over the summer period, as unglamorous as it sounds, we recognised that we needed to go through everything all over again full MOT of every element of our integration team, our CCB um, database, our welcome team, um, the presence on Sundays of, 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 of the church, as it were, who aren't even in the team, i.e. the fact that the church was increasingly not getting there on time. And so all of this was adding up to, although people were still coming, they weren't necessarily being added into at the same rate that we wanted. Also, we recognised our small group leadership generating machine was nowhere near what we thought it was. Um, and so therefore, there weren't enough small group leaders to necessarily um, form a continual pool for our small group, uh, for our new people. So this is by way of illustration that we, we realised the big issue for us was cohesiveness and particularly the expression of integration in the broadest sense, from welcome right through into the body of the church. So that came, yes, from instinct, but mainly from statistical <coughs> analysis. So be sure, before you uh, decide upon what you're going to give your energies to, there could have been other voices that are shouting louder that we could have easily got distracted by, but this rather unglamorous but incredibly important part of church life, we believe, is actually the key. Um, and so um, be sure before you do it. Number two, A, um, sorry, uh, A is um, air war. G, the next one is ground war. So you have to understand them together in context. This is a Mark Driscollian um, kind of uh, different terms. Air war and ground war is, are the two different ways in which you implement an idea. So through the air, i.e. through your Sunday preaching, through your websites, through the things that ultimately everyone's going to be aware of, the broadest masses, and are ultimately going to be generally those things that draw people in. Ground war is then, after people have been drawn in, how they therefore actually outwork the different elements of what's going on in their life through their, their different small groups, pastoral groups, counselling groups, that kind of thing. So you've got air war and ground war. And when you think about implementing an idea, once you're sure of what it is, you need to think about how do you actually work this through. So with the example I used, 
we are not going to be, from an air war point of view, talking loads about the need for the whole church to think about integration. Because, obviously, most people aren't actually involved actively in that very specific thing, even though it's a very important area of church. The air war message is much more about stirring hearts, about compassion, about being a welcoming church, even though we have an amazing welcome team, us all being on the welcome team. So the air war takes the basic idea and thinks, how can this be rolled out in such a way that everyone, even if they're a non-Christian, understands the essence of it? Sundays are hugely, hugely key on this. I also think one of the things we're realising is, is we need to... Um, if in the summer we've decided our broad main emphasis is going to be um, you know, becoming more cohesive, working together, making sure our systems are strong, and overall becoming more and more a church which is unashamedly on mission, how does that work out through our air war? How does everything um, become affected through the words that we say, not just the preachers, but also the meeting hosts, the worship leaders, the people who do the announcements? How is everything affected? How is our a communication strategy in terms of communicating air war to the local newspapers or the local radios? How does it affect our website in terms of what we put on the website? How does it affect every area of our air war is absolutely critical. And one of the practical things that we increasingly are trying to do is do a termly campaign meeting a, month, a term before the next term's particular emphasis. So if this term, for example, in September, October, was all about um, looking at Luke chapter 10 where um, the 72 are sent out, we're looking at how does that as a sermon series called Invited, how does that roll out across the whole of the church? How is every area affected? How does our kids work um, integrate with that as a theme? What about the songs that they sing, they, they, they sing in the kids' work? What about in the youth work? What about how it integrates with small groups? Air War therefore continuous, continuously is thinking about this. We work very, very hard on our air war. Um, we work incredibly hard to make sure if preachers are preaching and they're not, um, well, our, our kind of culture as a church with preaching is it's one of the most important things you can do. Therefore, I will often, even though I've been preaching for, I don't know, eight, ten years, I will normally try and preach my sermon to someone who's a good preacher several days before the Sunday and then have a full critique by the eldership on the Tuesday afterwards. If someone else is going to um, preach who's not a, a paid staff member or someone who does it regularly, they will have probably two different meetings, normally with me, probably an hour, hour and a half each time, before they preach it to make sure theologically what they're saying is good, they'll try and preach it to me so that it's, whether it works or not. And not just content, is it, is it in line with the overall air war tilt that we're trying to give for that year? Um, is it ticking those boxes? As well as, of course, then a, a debrief afterwards. So we try and work really hard on that. Air war, there's a lot more I could say on that, but time is flying by. Ground war is the third thing you've got to think about. How do you implement ideas? Be sure. Secondarily, think about the air war, what you're communicating at the broadest scale. But then thirdly, the ground war. How does it actually work out? So if people are hearing a message and their lives are being affected and the gospel is going to work and sin is being repented of, what does that actually mean in terms of how they sort their lives out um, as a result of it? 
there's obvious channels which need to be strongly in place. Small groups are a very obvious one. Many churches, I think, underestimate the importance of small group. Small group is massive. If you want strong culture to be, to be established in your church, getting a strong small group um, culture that works is huge. For us, we've gone down the sticky church route. Um, I'll talk a little bit about how we implemented that in a minute because it's a good example of something from a, coming from an idea to becoming a culture. But for us, small groups are huge. Um, and, and being clear that their primary aim for us is not mission, um, it's, not, it's not many things, not mainly prayer, although prayer is in it, it's mainly about relationship. For us, we've got a conviction that that is key because if that's in place, you get honesty, you get all the other things that you need to have in someone's life. But if relationship isn't key, even more than doing activities together, then I don't think you get real implementation. For there to be real culture established in a church, you need deep relationships, is my strong belief. Um, for people to catch it off, off each other, whatever it might be, a culture of prayer or mission or giving or something. And so deep relationships are hugely key, and that for us primarily comes through small groups. But it took a big, it took us two years from, from one model of small group to move to another one. But now we've done that, we're beginning to see a depth of relationship that means um, implementation of ideas actually is deep and real. Small, uh, sorry, discipleship is another massive thing if you want to see culture established in a church. And what I mean by that is Jesus modeled the 72, the 12, and the 3, and the 1. So he had Peter, James, and John, and he had John. And often we miss out that smallest unit of discipleship. We have the small group, the 12, and we have the big, the 70. We don't have, though, often the 1s or the 2s and 3s. And so we as a church um, really do push this big time. We, we really try to equip everyone in the church to be in discipleship relationships, subgroups that are highly accountable and really... Um, lead to a depth of, of love for God and holiness and missional success and all the things that we want in disciples. But this is a key element of ground of ground war, expression of church life, that I think is often missing. Um, spiritual fathers not spiritually fathering uh, sons. Spiritual mothers not spiritually mothering daughters. And so the culture of the church doesn't necessarily get established in the way that God really wants it to. This is a key element of what, of what Driscoll calls ground war, the real rough and tumble of, of outworking a culture in a church is huge. So, those are three, I've got to pick up my pace. Um, next one is R, resources. Whatever your culture is that you're trying to establish, it will probably require resources. So you need to unashamedly say, this is what we want to see. We believe in this culture, and therefore we're going to put either money or people or both into it. So, for example, for us, we live in a time when very few young people are going to church. 59% of churches in the UK have no one aged 15 to 20. That's horrendous. It means the church is dying. We're in a university city, 40,000 students, with just rich pickings when it comes to young people. Therefore, anything we can do to build a culture that is invitationally attractive for um, younger people, we will do. But this requires resources. It requires people. It requires work. So, for example, we spend a certain amount of money 
quite a lot really but it's when you actually add it up it's actually very good per head but it's several thousand pounds per year on providing a double deck a double decker bus service for our students and 20s for both meetings during term time now we ask for a donation which they're starting to do but the point being is resourcing because we want a culture of young people as well as older they can't physically get to the church because they don't have cars because they're like 19 therefore we invest um, our resources into that area um, also for example student work again for us it means some of our staff are actually those who are um, who have some element of their paid employment with student work because we believe in seeing that culture um, Okay, so resources is key. Next one is E, embody. If you want to see a culture established, I think we need to embody it. We need to be um, those as leaders who embody what we are asking. So a classic example is mission. And I've repeatedly said to the church, I've been as explicit as saying, I, Tom Shaw, am not leading people to Christ regularly at all. We as an eldership, we are not. But we are going to change. I remember talking to Wendy Virgo um, at a conference last year and saying, it's funny, I have been in New Frontiers for 10 years and I've never been challenged by a senior leader why it is that I'm not leading anyone to Christ. That's not the challenge that I ever get. And I think it needs to change because surely it's not even enough to plant a church. It's actually, we're planting the gospel and the church gets born as a result. And I think often New Frontiers churches can slip into just growing because we're quite established now, Terry's got a good reputation and we're growing through Christians coming, whereas we need to be those that embody the culture of being missionaries. So for us, it means us embodying it, it means us being accountable about it um, and being really open with the church. So we need to embody whatever it is. So if it's prayer, we model it, we actually do it ourselves. Um, okay, next one is A, um, which is airtime for those who are strong in the, in the area that you're trying to um, bring into culture. So I think it's recognising that when you feel God's led you to particularly see an area develop culturally, you know, this area of church needs to change, it is unashamedly looking for people in your church, men and women, who are more gifted often than us in that area, and looking for ways in which we can give them a platform so that they can inspire the church and help them in areas that we're not necessarily strong on. It just means that, you know, if you're a pastor like me, you're overseeing the church, but we are there to equip the saints, to look at the saints, to serve the saints, to see men and women who are strong in evangelism or the prophetic or in mercy ministries or in... Um, working in the, in the workplace or in the gift of service or in the gift of mercy, whatever it might be, is actually um, constantly saying, I don't actually have to be the only voice that speaks. So recently we had Rebecca Manley Pippet, who's an amazing evangelist, not just, not just good at presenting the gospel, like her anointing and her sense of God on her was just extraordinary. Now, she will be able to put a deposit in the church in a way that I couldn't do. I am not gifted by God as an evangelist primarily, whereas she is. So constantly be thinking, how can I lean on other gifts? And not just those coming in, but often within the church itself, giving people the chance for testimonies. And um, one of the things I'm going to talk about is our wider prayer video strategy. 
um, which is in simple terms when once a month small groups huddle around a laptop and they watch a prayer video, often done by me. Sometimes it's not though, and I'll be strategic. So if I, if I think the church needs something of an apostolic feel, a developed apostolic feel, I'll, I'll see if Mike can do the video. Or we're just needing something more of the presence of God. That sort of culture is starting to get lost. I'll ask a prophet within relational mission or someone I know. So using different ways in which we're giving airtime to the things that we want. As PJ Smythe always says, preach for a verdict. Make sure that you are communicating and using the people who are strong in areas as much as possible. Next one is L, layers. Think about the different layers of um, church leadership that um, need to be affected if you are to see a real cultural change. So for example, um, with small groups, we several years ago as a leadership team felt actually this is, we want to move from the, the rather structured um, model that we have to much more of an organic relational thing. But what we did was we, as a team, we spent some time ourselves reading the book. It took a couple of months. Then we discussed it um, as a team in depth, really worked it through until we were happy. The next thing was we then took it to um, another sort of, you know, a circle outside of the circle, which was our small group coordinators, and we worked it through there. There were lots of questions about the new model. And then several months later, we then took it to a small group leaders level and all the interns. And then um, we took it to the whole church. So that point, that process probably took about a year, a year and a half from us first thinking about it right until proper implementation when the whole church then heard about it. And it's that point we're only just beginning. So that's a year and a half and a whole different layers or whichever way you want to see it, other layers of, of leadership or um, you know circles of leadership spreading out. Um, it's going to require everyone being on board for culture really to change. And so walking through change carefully, consistently, involving different people, allowing things to um, be planned in pencil so they're not too rigid is absolutely critical. The next Thing. This is a big one in terms of seeing a, a culture established rather than it just being a vague idea. Is the next thing is M for models. Um, Pete Gregg, at a brilliant relational mission thing, recently said that often the problem with people is that they, you have a, the theology and then you have the actual practice, and there's nothing in between. So people know they should do something and they're told to do it, but they don't know how to do it. And that's where models are so key. In the area of prayer life, he's been so good at developing different models, ways in which you do it. So we as a church try to fairly regularly think with things, how can this body of truth be um, expressed in a way that is quite practical and memorable so that people can actually uh, model something as well as know that they should do it. So here's some examples. Um, we talked about that discipleship thing I mentioned, where we encourage everyone in the church to either disciple someone or to be discipled, either on one-on-one -on -one or one-on-three. Everyone goes, okay, I want that, but how do I actually do it? So then over the summer, um, I thought, okay, what are the main ways that I disciple people? And I wrote them down, and rather like I've done today with this rather rubbish version with the bag, reel, meat, cap, um, the... the, the the, the summary of it was actually, let God come, L-E-T-G-O-D-C-O-M-E. This was um, different practical tips that if you want to disciple people, you need to think about. 
and I preached on that. And so everyone then came away thinking, okay, I might not do exactly like Tom, but actually this is a helpful model to allow me to get started. Um, so discipleship has been one of those. I've done the same when it comes to prayer, based on James chapter 5, giving f f people a fourfold model of different types of prayer. People want to pray, but they think, well, how do I pray? And in James chapter 5, you see whisper prayers, sung prayers, prayers of help, and prayers of confession. <clears throat> or with church planting, we've said to the church, the model we have is a fivefold model. Um, if, we, if someone says, I want to go church planting, we go, fantastic, there's five things you need to be thinking about, and we've summarised it in the word REAPS, R-E-A-P-S. Number one, R is relationship. Do we know them? Number two, E, eldership endorsement. Are they not just known, but really backed by the eldership? A, apostolic endorsement. Are they actually known by relational mission, by um, the apostolic team? Has this been an unhurried, excellent process that has been... Um, given the green light by those guys as well. P, um, prophetic. Is there, are there prophecies from God that have come which are really helpful? And then S, supply lines. I.e., is this something that actually is going to bless the sending church or is it going to kill the sending church? Um, and so that's helped us recognise that as a church which wants to see more and more church plants established, here is a now a model that with anyone irrespective of who they are, they can go, okay, I can get my head around how this church assesses people. So there's a few examples of the importance of models. And what that does is increasingly the church, therefore, is thinking, oh, okay, with each of the different areas of church life, there are models um, that, that I can remember that help me to get my head around it and to see the culture established. Similar to that is the next M, memorable phrases. I work really hard, and we do as a church, on silly sometimes memorable phrases that help people to remember um, and to actually get something of the culture of the church. So, for example, I'll talk a lot about the vertical and the horizontal. Vertical passion for God, horizontal love for people. And it helps people to get their head quickly around what we're talking about and the emphasis that we're bringing. I'll talk about mission being something with our lips and with our lives. So we use alliteration a lot. Memorable phrases help things to become a culture in a church. And that was proved to me a few years ago when I had a chimenea one night with a friend of mine in the church. Lovely guy. I didn't see him very often because of busyness, but he said to me, Tom, I so appreciate um, all your preaching and all the different things. And he then proceeded to go through uh, over the night and mention, I kid you not, about eight or nine different sermons. And he used the exact words that um, had been used. One, pra one phrase was, why it's not bonkers to build, which was a, a, a talk we'd done um, regarding the building um, projects, uh, various things that came up. Um, gutsy givers was another one about giving. Um, so it, it was just the, the demonstration that actually using alliteration and helping people, I know it's a bit cheesy sometimes, and some of you might be recoiling, but it does tend to help people actually, in, actually you know, become uh, those who imbibe the culture. Um, in a really key way. I'd also say memorable phrases in terms of not just sermons and things like that, but philosophies of ministry. Help people to quickly understand, particularly leaders, um, some simple but important doctrines, uh, philosophies of ministry that you might have. So for us, the, the duck is one which we often talk about where as a church you want to be like a duck. On the surface of it, yellow and fluffy and everything's nice and family, but underneath 
their little legs are going crazy, i.e. there's systems that need to happen. And we never want the ducts to get capsized where you'll become more aware of the leggies, i.e. the systems and the things that run the thing. We're trying to always, with our leaders, whether they're on Sundays or in projects or in the office, the thing we're trying to communicate is warmth and family and love and friendship, but actually we need the systems subtly but really in place. So we talk about a lot of things like the duck. We'll talk about Sundays not being just a kind of ramshackle family meal where you're slamming a pizza, but metaphorically it's like a dinner party where we're still getting fed as Christians, but we're there to serve the guests who are coming. We get all of this into the church as, as much as possible at our membership nights. We'll try and talk about these things so that every month we're doing membership and people are coming in and hearing memorable phrases, philosophies of ministry, so that they're picking up the philosophy. We also give, have five very clear expectations of every member in the church. Number one, that they're committed to Sundays coming and also serving on a team. Number two, they're committed to small group. Number three, they're committed to giving regularly. Number four, they're committed to hospitality. And number five, they're committed to following our lead. And that means that those other things I've mentioned, um, but also those five expectations become part of every new person who comes in. Okay, I'm going to have to speed up. We're almost there. Uh, next one is E, explain. I tell the church repeatedly what it is that you're going for in terms of your culture. Let them never assume the church knows um, that you are going for. For example, for one of the big things I've often gone about is being gospel-centred. I don't want to be a church which sees the gospel as just the beginning point and then we go on to higher truth. The gospel is the centre. Every sermon is about the gospel. Every, every problem ultimately finds its solution in the gospel. And the gospel is bigger than you could imagine and the gospel is always the issue. And so that's something for years now and when people have gone to other churches, they've then said, oh, I've suddenly realised that the, the sermons I'm hearing are fine, but they're not actually gospel-centred. And that was a culture that was in the church, along with the other things like discipleship and other things. And I missed that. So tell the church. I tell them as well as doing it. I say to them, do you understand that this is something that I want to be in you, which is why we talk about it a lot. Um, and we don't move on from that. Okay, next one um, is... E and T, together, expectations of time, synced in two there, i.e. having realistic expectations that it takes years, yes, years, to see real cultural change. I said to the church recently on Vision Sunday, I said, do you remember four years ago on Vision Sunday what I said our main emphasis is going to be? And everyone thought, and I said, that's right, mission. And then we preached on that ser series. Three years ago, I, we asked ourselves, what's the main thing we need to focus on? And what did we say? And everyone went, hmm. I said, oh, it's still mission. Two years ago, I, on Vision Sunday, I preached and said, what's our main emphasis that we really need to grow in? Mission. A year ago, what was the answer? Mission. And so what do you think it is today? Mission. And what it was saying to people was, A, clearly explaining why we're doing what we're doing and getting that culture in. It was also saying to the church, we've been kind of doing this for years now and we really all need to just start doing it. So there was an understanding that this thing takes time, but there was also a loving challenge that we do actually need to see this culture established. Last view, creative. C. I think the issue often can be we want something to become a culture in the church, prayer or worship or whatever, and sometimes our historic or instinctive models of getting it there don't work for whatever reason. So, for example, we want a church that prays. 
But when we had monthly prayer meetings, we found over a year, two years, the attendance went down. And we asked ourselves, is the church lazy? Is the church sinful? Is the church rubbish? No, it's a, an amazing church. It's full of wonderful, godly people who are working flat out. The issue is time and capacity. And to survive in the, in the world, most people are working crazy hours. They just can't do a monthly prayer meeting on top of everything else that they're doing, small group and all different things. So, we thought, well, the principle is we need to get a culture of prayer. It doesn't have to be a monthly prayer meeting. For few people, perhaps who have a lot more time on their hands, retired or whatever, they could do it. But for most people, they couldn't. So we came up with a strategy that we would see prayer in the church in the following way. Every week, there is an early morning prayer meeting for people who want to come. And every week, in small groups, the expectation is, you will pray. So that's new, and a new expectation is not adding something in, it's saying, in your small groups you already go to, now, explicitly, make sure you pray. Secondarily, once a month, as a small group, you have a whole night of prayer. So you're not going somewhere else, we're taking the, the, we're taking the elder-led prayer meeting into your small group. How do you do that? Through a video. So mainly me, I will do a 10-minute video, no more than that, with three points, and it has been a huge success. I'm sure there's limits to it, but I looked at the downloads. And virtually every single small group watches it. We normally get about 100 hits on it, and we have about 40 small groups, so do the math. They all seem to be watching it. And actually the presence of God comes. So people, therefore, in their uh, small groups, huddled around a laptop, are praying their hearts out about not just their own needs, but things that come from an eldership perspective. It could be apostolic needs, could be prophetic things, could be church-wide needs or things we're going for, building funds or alpha or whatever it might be. And then the, the third element of our prayer um, is termly prayer meetings, where we stop small groups, and we have a week of prayer and fasting, and we go for it. Now, the point being is, we got our knickers in a twist about it having to be a monthly prayer meeting, where actually that just was not working for the majority of the church. So we had to be creative, and I think the culture of prayer, we've got a long way to go, but I think it is becoming more real. Next thing, next C is celebrate. Make sure you celebrate even baby advances in the culture that you're trying to establish. So if you're trying to establish fellowship and friendship, make sure in your, publish, in your printed publications, in your sermons, on Sunday your interviews are celebrating fellowship and friendship or whatever it might be and you're doing things that will establish that. If it's mission, make sure you're constantly getting people sharing testimonies on Sundays or in wider prayer videos or on Twitter. Um, if you've got a Twitter account, or in your printed press, or whatever it is, whichever way is easiest for you to communicate it. Celebrate, you want to replicate. Uh, penultimately, think A, which is annual. Think about an annual uh, cycle every year. I'm sure you probably do do this, but thinking, um, how do we roll out this cultural change, not just in the immediate, but in the next year? So we're already planning way into late 2014, already starting to think through what might happen in 2015. Now that's all in pencil, because if you know me, I tend to change things when God speaks and something go, oh no, here, but we're planning so that the culture that we want to bring in is almost the default thing. Well, if it's going to be mission, therefore let's start planning a missions conference next, next November in 2014. And let's think about how that can then roll out. So think annually even if you're planning in, in, in pencil, and think of the rhythms that will help that. 
I would also say don't kill people. Don't go, well, if it's mission, all we're going to do is mission. Have a long three, four, five year process. So even if mission is something people before find hard, you're going to have to take them on the journey over several years. So we tend to do, in the autumn term, a series that promotes mission, get an evangelist in, get it on the radar. People have had a holiday, so they're up for it. Then we'll tend to do like a kind of presence of God, more you and God vertical thing in the next term. And then over the summer, we'll do things celebrating family and intimacy um, before we move on to that again. As a rough rhythm, of course, there's always change. And that helps the culture grow in a healthy way. Finally, P, pray. Sounds obvious, but it's absolutely massive. Unless we're praying, all these ideas will be in vain. I know I've zoomed through loads, but I wanted to serve you and make it practical rather than just sort of lots of um, vague ideas. I hope it's been very, very helpful. I love you guys loads. And I think we're going to have a Skype Q&A um, at some point after you've watched this. And um, look forward to seeing you guys and chatting to you very soon.